It's the Listen Up Milwaukee podcast. And welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Steve Italiano of the Listen Up Milwaukee podcast. And uh, today we have uh, with us the Honorable Paul Dodinsky. Hey. How are you, Paul? I'm doing great, Steve. Thanks a lot for having me. Oh, glad you could make it. Glad you could make it. I so, um, background on you, Paul, that uh, I've gleaned from your website, a native Milwaukeean. Yeah, yeah. I grew up, I uh, was born and raised, born at St. Joe's Hospital, um, and uh, grew up in, uh, in the North Shore area of Milwaukee. Okay. Um, yeah. Do you stay put in the North Shore area pretty much, or? Yeah, yeah. We, uh, I think my parents, oh, they bought that house uh, back uh, in 1960, and I think at the time it probably cost twenty thousand dollars yeah. at that time, and the garage was included. Yeah, <laughs> didn't have to put that up. So, uh, uh, so where did you did you um, uh, where did you go to grade school? I mean, did you, were you in the neighborhood schools or? I was. I went to Richards, which is a public school for my kindergarten years. I went to uh, St. Monica's for eight years of grade school, and then I was off to Marquette High School. I was the youngest of four kids, so all of us uh, followed the, the same path, except for my sister. Uh, she couldn't go to Market High. All right. So did she end up at uh, DSHA? Or? She did, as a matter of fact. You got that right. So, How would you guess? I, <laughs> Anybody who's willing to pay for that much for education, I know. I, uh, uh, that seems to be the path of a lot of uh, people from the city. So yeah, you from, bet. From the North Shore, especially. So, um, so growing up in Milwaukee, yeah. Um, what did your parents do? What What did they do? And what kind of uh, uh, what type of family activities did you do? Did you do here? Well, my dad came to Milwaukee. Um, uh, in the 1950s. Uh, in fact, he worked at Pabst uh, back in the day uh, uh, during his summers while he was going to school. And uh, he used to work in the factory there. And when he graduated, he had a double major in biology and chemistry, and he went to work for Milwaukee Metropolitan Sewage Commission, um, or MMSD. And he worked there for 42 years. Um, he was uh, started... Uh, at the bottom in the lab, uh, as a biologist and, uh, kind of worked his way up. He was a union member for many, many years. He went into the management side of things and, um, uh, he worked both at Jones Island and then he was the plant superintendent, uh, in Oak Creek at South shore. So 42 years, you don't get to see someone, uh, stay uh, that long. So he was yeah. a city of Milwaukee worker. My mom, on the other hand, um, she worked at the Milwaukee Area Technical College. She uh, had gone to Marquette University, uh, gotten her, her nursing degree, her master's in nursing, went into teaching, and she taught there uh, probably from uh, 1970 all the way up to uh, early 2000s. Uh, she left, then they asked her to come on back, uh, so she came back for another semester or two. So she she worked uh, both part-time and full-time uh, uh, during my early years, and she taught nursing. And it, in fact, what was really interesting to me is when I was in high school, so you got to think about this, Steve, I'm the youngest of four kids, and I was a sophomore in high school, and my mother decided that she wanted to get her PhD in counseling. And uh, she ended up uh, doing it, and she ended up 
uh, from there teaching psychiatric nursing in her last year. So um, she was somebody who really was a go-getter. And uh, I think both my parents instilled in us the value of education. That was really, really important. Uh, having grandparents who were immigrants to this mm-hmm. country um, and who uh, my gr- one grandfather worked as a coal miner in Pennsylvania and my uh, other grandfather worked in a factory um, and uh, both of them um, wanted their children and then my parents in turn wanted us to pursue education and uh, try to make the most out of whatever gifts or talents we were given. So that was that was pretty much par for the course for my family. Okay. Um, so education was key. Oh yeah. Um, which it's funny. I think our generation, it was, uh, cause we're, we're a year apart, give or take, uh, at least in school. You're older Uh, than me. I, yes, I am. (laughs) Yes, I am. I have more rings to me. Um, but the, uh, it seems like our generation, the, the, I, I don't know if we were the first generation to really expect to go on to college. It was not acceptable in some manner um, uh, to just get a high school education and get a factory job. Not that there were a ton of them around at the time we would have graduated from high school. Yeah, <laughs> at that right. time with you're Milwaukee. Right. Many, many factories were closing back then. Yeah. Um, at least in this, you know, for us here. And, you know, my mother was, you know, went to college. My dad uh, got associate degree. So it was always ex- expected, I think, that we go on to a, more education, of course, you've excelled at going to education. So I, <laughs> well, uh, you know, I am, uh, it was strange because I, uh, enrolled in the, uh, the doctoral program later on. And I want to say 1998, um, the doctoral program at Cardinal Stritch, mm-hmm. uh, university. And, um, I, I took the first year, my wife and I, we were, um, raising kids and we, we had our first child. We, I was prosecuting at that time uh, uh, sensitive crimes, sexual assaults, and child abuse cases. That was not a forty-hour-a-week job. I was pretty busy, and mm-hmm. and I I wouldn't return to it for many years, ten years. But I would ultimately complete the PhD, and and um, I was of course the only lawyer who was involved in uh, the program over there. Um, but uh, it was really a delightful learning process, and I I don't know that I. Do that. I don't think that Paul Dudinsky does that without um, my mom actually leading with that example mm-hmm. and uh, and her going back um, and and since then it's really been great. It's 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 opened up all kinds of doors to teach the, not only the value of education uh, within me, which I which I currently bring to the bench, but also um, uh, teaching uh, taught a at Cardinal Stritch in their business school, uh, taught in the doctoral program and also taught at Marquette University, both in the law school and undergrads. And that's been really, really delightful uh, to, to be able to be in the classroom and, and work with young people and help them pursue their dreams. So from um, uh, high school, you went went on to Creighton. Yeah, I went to Creighton. Um, yeah. Mom didn't force you to go to Marquette. She wasn't... Uh... <laughs> I, I tell you that legacy of generation after generation, uh, but at least you went yeah, to a, a Jesuit school, right? So. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, I uh, I went to a Jesuit school. Um, I think it was important to uh, for my parents to make sure that you know faith values were a part of our lives, you know, and and 
you know, you and I having kids too, we want to make sure our kids, um, you know, they're going to face issues in life and um, to, to instill uh, that spiritual sense within, uh, that was really key. That was really fundamental uh, for my parents. So, yeah, that, that was a part of my life. In fact, it, it wasn't until I enrolled at UW-Madison for law school. That was the first public education uh, that I received, and it was really since kindergarten. excellent place. Yeah, since <laughs> kindergarten. You're right. Yeah, since kindergarten. So it was, uh, it was a, a great, great experience uh, for me, and, and uh, going to Creighton was great. And, um, uh, and I think it was, it was also important to my development to to go out and and be out there in the world, be on my own, learn the the personal responsibility lessons that a young adult needs to learn. That was that was pretty important, and and it also prepared me well for going to law school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know quite a few hand. Um, seems like a handful of people that I know have followed that that exact same career path. Marquette High School, Creighton University, and then law school. Whether it's Marquette or UW. Yeah, um, yeah. It it seems to be a very common pattern, very very common theme that I run into with. And unfortunately, I know way too many attorneys. I, uh, <laughs> you bet. Well, and 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 not because I need one, thank God. But. Well, and we're we're just really. I mean, I'm grateful to have Marquette University, uh, their law school, not only being part of that community in teaching, uh, the building, um, the professors there, the dean. Um, Joe Kearney, he's done just an amazing job of opening up that building uh, for all kinds of issues. You know, Mike Goucher is over there. Uh, Alan Borsick is over there. He's taken people who have had just monumental careers. Russ Feingold, I know, has has been over there. Uh, just taken folks who have had uh, great careers, and and they're doing important work over there. And and it's it's ended up being that that law school is like a a living room to invite people in to do programming a lot of great leadership that's happening there at Marquette mm-hmm. University it's it's really impressive every time i go to programs there and i try to frequent them as often as possible um yeah it's just very impressive what they've done uh at the law school mm-hmm. yeah it's really yeah. been a jewel for Milwaukee yes it has been it's been uh and it's it's funny cuz it's uh it's, I've, you know, grow, being, again, a native of the city and growing up in the area and, and living in the area, Marquette is our version of the good old boys club. And and my, if you are a Marquette grad, Marquette high school grad, Marquette university grad, <laughs> and I tell people this, I mean, I, when we have kids, I'm like, you know, people if you really want three to, emers, yeah. you know, yeah. if you want to, if you want to do that, it, it is the best way to get your foot in the door in a lot of places. Um, in my opinion, that's, um, and and again, it's a world-class facility and world-class, uh, you know, my niece has graduated from there and, uh, my nephew did short, did a short time there, ROTC and he went and decided to go full-time Navy and, uh, anyway. Well, I have a son right now at Market High. We'll see where he chooses to go, but, uh, (laughs) he's going to be putting an application to Market University, uh, for sure. So we'll see, we'll see where he elects to go. Good. So, um. Was there any question where you were going to go to law school? I mean, did you look at other law schools around the country or was UW or at least going back to Wisconsin key for you in it, your, in your planning? Yeah, it really was. Um, yeah. UW Madison, um, 
you know, being in state, having the tuition in state at the time was was uh, what I needed financially. Um, and then just the caliber of the university uh, was stupendous. And so I really wanted to go to UW. Um, it was it was my first choice, and okay. uh, I was I was real happy I did. It was it was a great place, and um, the the learning was was fantastic. I'm I'm a little strange in that you need 90 credits to graduate from law school, and uh, in my final semester I needed eight credits, and that's all I needed. Uh, but I signed up for 18 because oh. I. <laughs> I was looking at all of the courses that I had not taken, and I thought, goodness gracious, I'm going to miss out on this, um, and I'm going to be out there practicing law. And so I I signed up for a lot of different uh, things, and so I graduated with 100 credits. I, I don't think there are too many uh, people who have done that, but for me, it was it was a great opportunity, and I, I also got to clerk for a judge. Uh, it was a fantastic learning experience. So yeah, law school. It's it's tough. If anybody out there is thinking about going to law school, I mean, for me, I I had to pack it in and and work extremely hard. But at the same time, the education and the value of the edu- education was tremendous. So uh, going through law school, did you have an idea of what you wanted to do in the law when you were? Going through, I mean, did you focus or concentrate on one particular area of law or was it all fascinating to you and the district attorney's job was just a job out of college? (laughs) Well, no, I'll tell you, I, after my first year in law school, this was interesting. I, I had an opportunity and I signed up for a program out of what's now become the Remington Center at UW-Madison Law School. To, and, and I had this opportunity to sign up for LAIP, the Legal Assistance to Institutionalized Persons program there. And uh, so I did it. There were 50 law students at the time uh, who signed up for the summer program. And it took us out into the Department of Corrections and to assist uh, inmates with their legal issues. Some of them were criminal issues. Some of them were family issues, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all kinds of different legal issues that... Uh, uh, incarcerated persons deal with. I actually went and I spent, I visited many of the prisons, in fact, of the round about 30 prisons we have in the state. I've been to over half of them uh, just through my years. But I focused in on Winnebago. Winnebago has a medium-sized prison called the Wisconsin Resource Center. And next door, Kempster Hall, Gordon Hall, the those are hospitals. And uh, they're folks who have been have been sent there because they have been found uh, not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect. That has been um, the plea that they have entered in in the case. And uh, what has happened is because of that process and and the bifurcated process, they end up at uh, Winnebago or Mendota. And so I focused in there for much of the summer. But honestly, I didn't know after my first year what I wanted to do. And then one afternoon, uh, we used to have speakers come in. One afternoon, there was a man who came in, and his name was E. Michael McCann. He was the district attorney in Milwaukee. And he gave us a two-hour talk. And he really, it was stunning. Um, He was 
incredibly intelligent. He was brilliant. Uh, but besides his brilliance and his intelligence, he had this humility about him that struck me as well. And, and during that two-hour lecture, honestly, Steve, it felt like the man reached in and just plucked the social justice cord within me. <laughs> and I sat back, and at that moment I thought, I, I just want to work for this guy. I want to work for this man. Um, um, and, and at that point in time, meeting him, uh, hearing him, and I'll, I'll also tell you, it was the first time, I think I'd gone my whole first year in law school, and I don't know that I had heard anybody ever mention the word justice. I think it was the very first time that I had heard that term used, and here was this man who was so passionate and brilliant, um, and and he seemed so balanced. At that point in time, I just knew in my heart of hearts that eventually... I would want to work for uh, this leader. Uh, he just hit me with a ton of charisma. Um, and uh, I, I just saw him last week. Um, and uh, I just am still uh, really enamored by him. And actually, if you probably talk to John Chisholm, uh, who also went to UW-Madison for law school, um, John would probably say that Oh, his top three, four reasons of why he wanted to work in the Milwaukee DA's office. He, he would have probably put Mike McCann down there, too. I don't know. I haven't had that discussion with him. But I, I know um, there there were a number of us who were hired then who felt similarly that working for him uh, wasn't just a job. He made it into a, a calling, almost a vocational calling. You were you're doing more. You were working on behalf of crime victims. You were working on behalf of people who who were seeking justice and needed needed restoration in their lives. And that was really something that struck me. And so I knew that I was going to be taking a path of public service. It might not be the best financial decision I've ever made, but I knew that I was going to be doing public service. It, it, it now was just instilled in me and it was the right mix. So that's honestly, uh, at that point in time, all my focus shifted, uh, over and it's something that I wanted to do um, and so I, I, I did begin concentrating on uh, that particular area, I would yeah. say, of criminal law. Well, it always amazed me how, uh, you know, McCann was DA for for forever. 38 years elected, 30. and I think he was an assistant DA before that. Yeah, yeah. longest longest serving elected DA in the country, I know, at the time when he retired. And I remember the first ballot, I, I, I can honestly remember the first ballot, his name wasn't on it. And I'm, I was kind of, who do we vote for? You know, because he always ran unopposed. Sure. You know, it was just that clear cut and dry that he was the guy for the job. Um, and nobody ever ran against him. I don't think that I can remember except maybe, wow. No, I don't, I think he retired, right? He didn't even, he didn't lose an election. No, no. Yeah. He retired. I want to say end of 2006. Yeah. Yeah, it was just amazing to me. It's kind of one of those. Okay, what do we do now? And, and and honestly, it was who did he endorse at that point for you know the average person in the city? It was like okay, who does he do, who does he endorse? Who does he want a successor to be? That's who we'll vote for. I mean, he was right. that powerful and that strong of a force in that department. So, um, so you got to work for him. Yeah, yeah, ten years. Ten years. Yeah. Um, and then I worked the next ten years under John Chisholm. Uh, who was in the office all of my time there too. So okay. that was really uh, a great blessing. Okay. So 20 years in the district attorney's office. Over 20. Yeah. 
when did you know it was time for a change? What, what made, and first of all, I, I have this, I always have this question of for, for elected officials in this day and age, why run, <laughs> why run for an office where, you know, especially now they're going to check under your fingernails and check sure. every little piece of dirt and talk to this person and talk to that person and, and, you know, talk to your high school prom date and, and you know, that kind of stuff. Um, it can be very, you can be over scrutinized when you're going to become an elected official or if you're running for an elected office. Um, where, how, how did you prepare for that? Well, I, I left the DA's office actually, um, you know, I, I applied actually for a judicial position, was turned down, applied, turned down, I think three times. Um, but in that process, um, during the interview process, I was contacted and said, you know, you, you didn't get selected. You were one of our finalists, but we really like you. Would you be interested in doing something else? And I really struggled with it because I had so many blessed years uh, just in the DA's office, over mm. 20 years. Boy, I had such a great experience. But I, I thought, you know, if if there's an opportunity for me to be challenged and I, I, I might might take it if, it, if it was the right fit. And they approached me and said, would you like to apply to the Department of Ag, Trade, and Consumer Protection? And I don't know a lot. Of, I, at the time, I didn't know a great deal about agriculture issues, but I did know a good deal about uh, trade issues and certainly consumer protection. Mm -hmm. um, and so I felt comfortable with that strand of the agency. And when I went over to the agency, and that would have been in May of 2017, um, all of a sudden I am now, I had been a state employee as a prosecutor. I don't know right. if many people, because, you know, we're the Milwaukee County district attorney's office here. Um, but actually the prosecutors are state employees. So I had been a state employee already for over 20 years as an assistant DA. But when I went over there, uh, I had to get up, travel to Madison and, um, I, I'll tell you, working for a state agency was so interesting. It was such a different line of work. And not only were there all kinds of statutes, Wisconsin legislative statutes that I had never cracked open and looked at. So it, it opened up a whole new set of at least a dozen different statutes that I had to get to know really well. But besides that, there were about a hundred chapters of administrative rules and regulations. And so you can imagine if I had my computer up every day on the dashboard, I had the statutes and I had those administrative regs getting to know them. And um, just looking at them each day, day in and day out. Um, and and if you probably go over to the, the DNR, um, you'll probably see nearly a thousand regulations out there, chapters of regulations. Uh, so DATCAP, which is what it's often referred to, Department of Ag, Trade, Consumer Protection, it just opened up this whole new world to me. And in a strange sort of a way, even though I was there about a year and a half, now as a judge, Steve, I am into the statutes all the time, reading the law, reading for guidance. Not that I hadn't as a prosecutor, um, but because I was forced to learn this new area, now as a judge, boy, do I pay attention uh, to the law and make sure that I'm doing things correctly. 
So it's uh, that it really ended up honing some skills of mine as an attorney. Um, so I'm I'm grateful for that experience. Um, so that, I just wanted to answer that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when I when I uh, talk about it because it was a great learning experience, no doubt. So. Um, I said when you were, you, you had left the, uh, district, district attorney's office and you were trying to get into, um, an appointment Yeah, uh, on, on the bench. Um, when, and then, so at, at, while you were at the ag, uh, state ag and trade, what was, was running for an open position, um, the next logical step for you as far as trying to become a judge? Well, what? What really burned in me, and I'll go back to that justice issue, um, you know, I've talked a little bit about my family. I've, I have two older brothers who are physicians, um, both of them. One of my brothers um, works as an ER doc, and he takes people in um, who come in with, and, and they come back from, they, they come into the hospital from every possible socioeconomic circumstance you can imagine. I have another brother who's a family practice physician. He takes in people who are coming from all stratospheres and handling all of, of their issues. So um, within me, too, I, I felt like um, most of the time, that I was working in public service, I was always working on behalf of folks. Uh, and maybe, maybe it's a trait that, that we were given that sense that we always, you know, look out for the underdog right, right. <laughs> type of thing. And for me, uh, I do believe that people who have experienced injustice and, and to a certain extent, all of us have had some sense of an experience of what we believe is injustice um, I believe too that our legal system needs to be an experience of justice for them, and and so I, I do very strongly believe that that's a very important part to try to restore that justice um, and that sense of it, and and also, uh, you know, before I even became a prosecutor for about three and a half years, I was in private practice from ninety three, ninety four, ninety five, ninety six those years. And during that time, I represented people who had been charged with crimes, uh, both adults and juveniles. I'd also represented parents um, when their children had been removed from their homes by Child Protective Services. I represented children as a guardian ad litem. Um, So what was common in many of these, most of these circumstances was the issue of poverty. And so I felt very comfortable being in a courtroom, um, certainly, but I also felt that um, it was an opportunity as well to work for justice. That was very, very key. So that was probably the, the part of me, the depth of me okay. that comes out and something that I'm just really incredibly passionate about. So currently your Fifth Circuit Court a uh, branch. Yeah, so in Milwaukee, we've got 47, believe it or not, we got 47 different branches. I'm at our children's court center, which is amazing because I had worked there for so many years in private practice and also as a prosecutor 
And so um, it was like a home away from home for me. We have eight judges out there alone, plus we have three dedicated court commissioners, and we really have a great group of people. So did you wait until, I guess, there was an opening, or did you, I guess, did you... Yes. When did you make that? Okay. So you made that decision that that's yeah. the court you wanted to be in. Well, actually, when you get appointed, they, they appoint when that? you get appointed, the chief judge who in, in our district here in Milwaukee is chief judge Maxine White. Um, she and I discussed this before I was, uh, before I began and she said, Paul, we want you at the children's court center. And, uh, uh, again, for me, I had been exposed to those areas of law. I was familiar with them. So it, for me, it was a perfect fit. Okay. It was really a great So great technically place. You, you run as a judge sure. for the for the fifth branch. Yeah. And the judges rotate. So every, every three years, uh, can be four years in some circumstances, um, judges rotate to different areas. In Milwaukee, um, we have all kinds of different areas. Some of the northern counties will will be a one-judge county, and that judge takes all the different types of cases, whether they be criminal matters, civil matters, family matters, probate matters, uh, juvenile and children's court matters. That one judge has to do it all. Um, in, in Milwaukee, we've got such a great volume that... Um, we, there's an opportunity to really specialize. So we have many specialized different areas. There's misdemeanors. There are three dedicated circuit courts to just domestic violence. Mm-hmm. There are the felony branches. There's a drug uh, treatment court. There are There's the sexual assault homicide courts that just dedicate three branches full-time hearing those kinds of cases. Um, there's a gun court. And then, uh, as I mentioned, uh, at the children's court center, we hear, uh, child in need of protection and services cases. Those are our child protective services matters. And we also hear delinquency matters, their termination of parental rights. And then there's family courts hearing the divorce cases and the custody issues in family setting downtown. There are probate and civil branches uh, so it's uh, there are many different areas where we as judges rotate to and from. All right. So, but currently you're at the juvenile center. You bet. Okay. That has got to be one of the tougher jobs, I would imagine, um, because you're not in situations. I mean, you're making a judgment. There's no jury, correct? So, um, depending on the things brought to the table. You're the one with the final say for the most part, right? As far as custodies or, or child placements. So you're acting in the best interest of the, of the juvenile. So yeah, there, there are two types of cases, um, mainly, um, and, uh, I can get into a third too, but the, the two types of cases that I see most frequently uh, one half of them or about 50% of them are juvenile delinquency cases where, um, um, juveniles, uh, under age 17, um, are alleged to have committed some type of offense, some type mm-hmm. of criminal offense. And, uh, so those are half of just about half of the caseload that I have, and the other half are cases that are brought by uh, the Wisconsin State 
Department of Children and Families. And those matters are CHIPS cases. And CHIPS is just an acronym for Child in Need of Protection or Services. And there in Milwaukee, it is the district attorney's office that brings those cases. And they're civil in nature. Mm -hmm. So you have this this juvenile uh, side, uh, delinquency side, which is a kind of a criminal side of things. But then you have the civil case where, uh, you know, families are struggling. Families are struggling with all kinds of issues. Um, uh, families are struggling, struggling economically. Uh, we have parents who are struggling with mental health issues. Um, we have drug addiction. Um, folks who are struggling as we all know the opiate issue that's out there nationwide and and we in Milwaukee uh, are working on that uh, issue day in and day out. Um, You have folks that have neglected or abused uh, their children or the children have been abused while in their care. Um, uh, We have children who've been sexually assaulted. Um, So yeah, when you, I, I'm watching you <laughs> and I'm seeing your face and, and I know, um, yes, that is my daily diet of cases I hear, but I also prosecuted sexual assaults in the Milwaukee DA's office, uh, 99, 2000, 2001. So I became very intimately familiar with those kinds of cases. And, uh, we also prosecuted child abuse cases, um, and then from about 2001 to 2007, I was the director of the domestic violence unit in the Milwaukee District Attorney's Office. And, and so um, we receive in Milwaukee, at least back then, about 10,000 charges. Um, maybe that's between six and 7,000 cases. And there in Milwaukee County, we've got now 20 different police agencies and any one of those police agencies can refer a matter to the district attorney's office. So when you look at about 10,000 charges over the stretch span of a, of a full year, um, you're reviewing about 200 charges per week. Um, it's, it's like a mini law firm of about 10 lawyers. You're manning three courts. The cases are coming in. They need to be reviewed. You're interviewing victims who, um, uh, you know, have been abused or it's alleged they've been abused. Um, uh, so it's, it's a very, it's a very challenging area of the law. And so I, I was familiar, uh, just in those years and that 10 year span of right. time with those kinds of cases. And when I left, I went to the children's court center. So I, I, I've been seeing those matters for a long time. Um, again, over the course of over 20 years. So it's, it's prepared me. Um, but yeah, there are some difficult cases where it's tough to get to sleep at night. Well, you know, I think we all know the horrors of what can happen. And I think there's even some people who will, will say, you know, if an adult wants to destroy their life, that's one thing. But when you take a child with it, whether that's because you're, you're addicted to drugs and it affects your family life or you have children. Um, you know what I'll say though, Steve, there's also another side to this area. Mm-hmm. We have some amazing, uh, people who work at the children's court center. Mm-hmm. We've got an amazing group of people who are dedicated to a variety of different things. We have probation agents. I've seen them, uh, 
I've seen them work extra hours on behalf of kids they're supervising, social workers who work for um, both St. A's and Children's Hospital Mm -hmm. of Wisconsin and for uh, the Division of Milwaukee Child Protective Services. Um, we have, we also have relatives who step up in times of need. We have foster care people. I, I met a, a woman recently, um, uh, who, who had over 36 children, uh, in her home. She was a licensed foster care provider, um, over the span of over 20 years. And, uh, their home was a place where they just welcomed people in. And on right. top of that, she, she worked. And so did her husband, uh, and they took care of kids. And and when I expressed how impressed I was with all of that beautiful service that their family did, she looked at me strangely, and she said, well, you know, Paul, that, that's just what you do. Um, it's the right thing to do. Right. So you see uh, people step up in this community, people who want to fix things, people who really want to make good happen. And, and boy, those, those folks are just stars. <laughs> right. So that's, I said, you get to see some pretty horrific things, but does that make the wins that much sweeter? I mean, when you meet somebody who's fostered 48 children, um, when you, successfully place somebody in foster care who then starts to flourish. Do you get to follow up on some of these things and, or some of these cases? Well, being removed from your home is probably one of the most traumatic things for a child. So you, you don't ever celebrate, um, anything like that. You want to celebrate safety without a doubt. Um, what, what you're touching on though is, is really true to form. I, as a judge, what do I want? I want to see positive change. I want to see transformation. Um, And how do we get there? Well, in a criminal case, um, it used to be that the focus, at least in the adult court system, uh, oftentimes our, our criminal justice system has been criticized as being overly punitive in nature. We look at our, we look at our uh, prison system, which is, which has over 23,000 inmates and neighboring Minnesota has about half that number. But here in Wisconsin, we've got a burgeoning number of folks who have been incarcerated. So um, right now, I think there's, I've, I've been part of this great reexamination that's happened, happening right now um, about criminal justice reform about the disparities we see, the racial disparities and who gets incarcerated. And, and we've got just amazing people who are looking into those issues. We're all doing it together, um, trying to look at ourselves and do that self-analysis. But besides punitive alternatives, especially at the Children's Court Center, there's this idea of rehabilitation that's always been a strong strand. Right. And so you, you rehabilitation, what is it? It's about learning. It's about growing. Um, and so um, there's always been that sense that we not label or stereotype kids, that instead we try to lift them up, we try to educate, we try to get change through learning, that learning process. Um, and if truth be told, uh, in our adult system too, uh, I see judges all of the time uh, giving sentences out that are focused not just on something punitive, but also on something that'll help them grow. Finish your, your high school diploma, get your, 
your GED, your HSED, uh, participate in drug and alcohol counseling, learn, mm-hmm. grow, um, uh, get, get, get some kind of vocational skills so that you can be a contributing member of society. I, I see that all the time, judges using rehabilitation. And then finally, restoration, restorative justice. Um, so there's this, this idea that when you, when you do a wrong to someone else, when you cause harm to happen to someone else, um, how do you fix it? And must you fix it? Fix it. And I think the philosophy of restorative justice is that yes, we're all obligated right. to one another in relationship and uh, restore. So you may see someone get a sentence that involves some community service, a child to write a letter of apology to pay back restitution. Again, those would be examples of the principles of restorative justice at work. Right. That, uh, my, my firsthand experience with that is, uh, for a period of time, I worked down in the Racine area for an auto dealer and I ran the body shop and he's been, unfortunately he's passed away several years ago now, but judge Barry down there had, had juvenile court. And I can't tell you how many kids, he was a customer, but he also would bring children in or kids in or young adults, I guess. Um, who, if they had damaged somebody's car or if they had taken mom and dad's car and caused damage to it, um, and caused some other issue, they would bring them in for the estimating. He would bring them into the body shop and show them what was all involved in there. What were the consequences of their actions? It wasn't just, I'm going to walk away. There was dollars involved. There were people involved. There was to give them that background of, Hey, you know, your actions have consequences and also give them the basis for what they needed to do as far as restitution. Well, uh, you know, you, you, Steve, you think about a young person who might, uh, break into, um, somebody's home and that young person wants to, uh, maybe steal a computer or steal, uh, the television set or steal something, um, um, some kind of electronics. And so in that young person's mind, they've harmed Yes, someone, but they've harmed them on a financial level. And so you do see that kind of harm. There are other cases, of course, where you see direct physical harm. Correct. So, but to, to just look at this and say, you know, it's just, just physical or just financial, I think what your judge was trying to do is show, no, there's much more to it. You see, um, there's also a, a psychological aspect. Um, if you've been burglarized and you wake up in the middle of the night and your water heater is clanking off in the basement. You're, right. you're first, what's going to be on your mind? Oh, that's my water heater. No, you're probably going to be thinking, Oh, is somebody else trying to break into my house right. right now? Uh, so, you know, psychologically it impacts you. And then of course you feel fear. So it, it, it impacts you on an emotional level and your thought process mentally, um, you, it affects how you think. Um, and socially, uh, you might think to yourself, well, who else knew I was out of town on vacation when, when I was burglarized and all right. of a sudden you start wondering and, and, and about your neighbors and about people who knew. Um, and then we've talked about sexual harm a little bit about, about sexual assaults. And, and some people will even tell me it really affects them on a spiritual level. Oh, sure. I've, I've had school teachers come in and, and say, you know, you didn't just harm me when you attacked me to a student, but you also impacted me on a spiritual level because I was doing this job. 
I was working in our school system because I care about kids because I wanted to make a difference. And I'm not going to let you take that away from me either. I want to let you know, though, it's been a struggle and it's impacted me even on that level. So to get somebody to see that the harm isn't just physical, financial, but it's psychological, emotional, mental, social, sexual, even spiritual, those kinds of levels of harm I think is really, really helpful for a young person to uh, sit back and say, wow, I didn't really know the ripple effect uh, and the consequences that would result from my decisions. We are running short on time, and I know <laughs> we both have uh, have to get back to where we need to get back to. So um, we'll wrap this up here, I guess. So right now, um, how long is your term as as judge? Every judge is up for election every six years. I'll be up for election um, if um, I end up getting opposed. I'll be up for election in February for a primary and then a general election in April. There'll be a lot of things on the ballot April 7th. be a lot okay. of things on the ballot, so people will be... Uh, Probably coming out. Yeah, okay. We'll see. But we have to we have to get nomination signatures in the month of uh, December. Every candidate uh, to even get your name on the ballot. So we'll okay. see what. So even though you're, I'm going to use air quotes, an incumbent. Yeah. Judge, yeah. <laughs> you still have to go through the whole nomination process again. Yo, you bet. You bet. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. How's that going so far? Or... Great, great. Uh, what's been really neat is having grown up here. You know, the first thirty years of my life, just about before I got married. And um, got married in downtown Milwaukee um, on Marquette's campus uh, at uh, Jesu Did Church you? Yeah, many years ago. Um, uh, and having those first 30 years, it's really been wonderful. And my family having been here and knowing so many people, that's really been a plus. People have come out of the woodwork and said, wow, this is fantastic. We're pleased with your leadership. Um, that's been really uh, a bonus for me. Um, and, uh, that's been helpful. Also just working the next 20 years of my life in the district attorney's office and well, I'm 52 and, and basically 50 years out of my 52 right. <laughs> have been spent, uh, here in Milwaukee, either living here, or working here. So just coming and having our roots here and caring so much, it, it, it's really been a benefit being a Brewers fan and a Bucks yeah. fan and a Packers fan, uh, and a classmate of mine is president of the Admirals. So, <laughs> so, uh, it's, uh, it's really been neat. There's been just a lot of warm support and, Good. and support too, from people I've worked for, like John Chisholm, who's, uh, our district attorney and E. Michael McCann, our former DA, um, and, and many colleagues as judges have come out and, and seen that, I'm willing to lower my shoulder and do the hard work and, uh, and, and really do a thoughtful job. So that's, that's been so neat, uh, to have so much, uh, in terms of support. I, I, I'm just so grateful and thankful for, uh, so many people. Good. Now, um, if people want to learn more about you or get a hold of you, how does that happen? Yeah, you can look me up, uh, you can put, uh, you can look at my website, HTTPS, uh, colon backslash backslash and judge Paul uh, can go there and uh, check me out. And, uh, yeah, very much so. Uh, and a contact you'd link be a, there. If... You'd be an informed voter. Okay. okay. <laughs> and they can contact you through the website. There's they a... most certainly can. They can. Bet. Yeah. Okay, send fantastic. me a note or, uh, shoot me a line. Yeah. Uh, 
okay. or they could uh, email me direct at judgepauldadinsky at gmail.com. Okay. And we'll have a link to your website on our homepage, on our landing page for the podcast. All right. So we'll, we'll so put much. that in there for you and, uh, as well as your email in the, in the show notes. So Paul, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your very busy day to, uh, sit and chat with us and, and fill us in on what you're doing and how you're doing and glad to see, uh, Milwaukeeans doing great things for Milwaukeeans. Well, you know what? And I want to thank you too, Steve, for highlighting it on your podcast, doing these positive presentations about, uh, Milwaukee, about our hometown here, uh, you were uh, a denizen of Milwaukee too. Yeah. Uh, yes, yeah, yes, yes. We've, we've, we've trampled a lot of the same ground, different paths, I would say, but, uh, yeah. um, yeah, lifelong Milwaukee and very proud of the city. So, so, you know, I used to work in radio, Steve. Yeah. I did commercials for a radio station uh, many, many years ago. So it's, okay. it's good to be uh, on your podcast today. Well, thank great. you so much. All right. Thank you for stopping. So, All right. This has been the Listen Up Milwaukee podcast. Brought to you by Testadoro Media, LLC. You can reach us by email at listenupmke at yahoo.com or through our website, listenupmke.podbean.com. We ask that you leave the podcast a positive review either at the Apple iTunes Store or at Google Play. This helps us reach more people the more episodes we deliver and the higher our rating gets. Opening and closing music is courtesy of John C. and taken from his album Shine, available where music is sold.